Uh, welcome to the Lansdowne Lions Church. We're glad you're here today. If you're joining us online, we are th thankful that you're joining us as well. And uh, this morning, before we get back to our series in Acts, we're going to be digging into Philippians 2 this morning and taking a look at a few different things, uh, including complaining, <laughs> arguments, and joy, but our ultimate focus this morning is going to be on looking at what it means to shine bright for Christ. And before we get into God's word together and pray, I wanted to start off our time on a lighter note since we are going to be uh, discussing complaining and arguing. And uh, since Pastor Jeff is back, I thought he might like to hear this list as well. And this is a list of things that you will never hear in most churches. First, hey, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. Four chairs. <laughs> I was so excited, Pastor, I never noticed your sermon went over 25 minutes. Personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than golf. I volunteer to be the permanent junior high youth leader. Forget the denominational minimum salary. Let's pay our pastor so he can live like we do. I love it when we sing hymns and praise songs I've never heard of before. Since we're all here, let's start church early. Pastor, we'd like to send you and your wife to this Bible conference in the Bahamas. And, nothing, and last but not least, nothing inspires me and strengthens my commitment like our annual giving campaign. So, complaining, arguing, joy, shining bright for Christ. And maybe you're thinking, how is he going to make this all work together? Well, here we go. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time to be able to gather together and dig into your word together. Father, I just pray that as we dig into your word, that um, every single word that comes out of my mouth would be your words, Father, so that we can hear a word from you this morning. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. I believe there are some Bibles in the chairs around you. So um, let's go ahead and read together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Love it how the ESV puts that. A crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So our text this morning starts right out in verse 12 by saying to work hard to show the results of your salvation. That's uh, If you look at the NLT uh, translation, that's how it pulls out of that. My friends, if you have not figured this out, out yet the task of showing the results of your salvation is going to become harder 
and harder with each passing day in the society that we are living in. Paul was writing this as a reminder that just like in his time, the enemy is always going to try to come in and ruin our unity. And what his writing was saying is that it might mean that the entire church at this time, everyone needed to work together in order to successfully eliminate division and discord amongst themselves. You see, the Philippian Christians needed to be reminded and needed to be particularly careful to obey Christ now that Paul was there, well, excuse me, was not there to continually remind them about what was right and what was wrong. And that reminder should be something that we apply to our lives each and every day. We have to be careful about what we believe. We have to be careful about how we live, especially when we are on our own. This past week, our, at the radio station, our, our boss and my direct boss, they were at a conference in Florida. And I immediately thought of this analogy where that you only work when the boss is there. Because you definitely want to... If he's watching this live stream, I'm going to be in so much trouble tomorrow. <laughs> But you have to think about this. Have you ever had that? Have you ever been in a workplace when someone only works when the boss is around? Or when the boss comes in late and everybody has to try to look busy to make sure that we're doing something because the boss just showed up. You see, that's what Paul's combating here. That these, these Christians that he was ministering to would only look busy when he was around. And that's not how we should be living. We should not be just saying, all right, well, Christ is going to return any day now, so all right, let's, tie, let's uh, you know, tie these loose ends up and be done. We should be constantly working. We should be constantly telling, because let me tell you something, when it comes to God, we have a boss that's always watching. You see, in the absence of strong, faithful Christian mentors who hold us accountable for our actions. There's something nobody likes in our society today, being held accountable for their actions, being held accountable for their choices. We have to shift our focus and move our attention straight to Christ so that we will not be easily sidetracked. King Edward of England appointed William Wickham to build a church. William Wickham performed his duty and finished by writing in one of the windows this work made William Wickham. When the king saw this, he confronted William for assuming the honor of building the church himself when really he was just the overseer. He answered that he did not mean that he made the work, but that the work made him. Before he had been poor and unknown, and now he was well known and financially established. His words were not based in arrogance, but reflected his deepest gratitude. See, when it says in the Bible that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, this does not mean that we make salvation, but that salvation makes us. Our relationship with Jesus changes our perspective in all areas, including our vocation. So let's have a little honest moment here this morning since we're in church. Who has ever had a moment where you did not feel like obeying God? 
Look at Jonah in the Old Testament. How about we'll start there? I mean, think about it. What do we do when we don't feel like obeying God? Let's go a step further. What would ever make us be in a position where that thought crosses our mind in the first place? Where we truly don't feel like obeying him. You know, the one who has our best plans in mind. The one who is constantly guiding and protecting us. The one who is making a way for us. God has not left us alone in our struggles to fight our battles alone. He has not left us alone in our pain to do his will. Our God is a God who desires to come alongside of us. Our God is a God who wants to be with us to provide the help that we need. And maybe you've walked in here this morning and this week, this past week, has caused you to be struggling a bit. Do you understand this morning that we serve a God, that you serve a God that desires to help you, that desires to come alongside of you? God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We find the secret to a changed life when we submit to his control and let him work in us and through us. Every single day, we fight the battles of temptation when we find ourselves in those periods of struggle. And when we do that, is all the more reason to ask God to help us both to do his will and to have that desire to do his will. You know, people say all the time, well, you say, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And you have to look at him and say, well, what are you doing under there? I always love him. He would say, "You you know, I am the only... Christian in my workplace. Well, let me shake your hand because God's got a plan for you to work in that workplace. Think about this morning. What fuels your desire? What is it that fuels your desire in life? What is it that gives you that charge? When you have a desire to do something, More times than not, you're going to act on that desire, right? When you have a desire that you want to get something done. My wife and I have had a desire to get our front garden done. That desire is going on about a month and a half now. That desire some days is stronger. Then we realize, oh, we have T-ball today. And then we get home from T-ball and that desire to do that garden is gone. But when we have this desire to do something, More times than not, we act on it. Well, what better thing for you to do than to have the desire to do God's will and then act on that will in your life? So how can we desire to do God's will in our lives? The answer is quite simple, but it's often something that people who claim to be Christians aren't willing to do. And here's the answer. We have to change our desires to be more like Christ's. Philippians 1, chapter back, verses 18 through 20. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored by my body, whether by life or by death. So what do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the influence of faithful Christians. We need to be obedient to God's word, not just mere exposure to it. And we need sacrificial service. My friends, if you are maybe kind of slowly starting to put the pieces together or not understanding what I'm saying this morning, let me simplify it for you right here with this statement. When we are doing God's will, we will gain the desire to do it. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Continuing in chapter 2, we continue making the next step here about this complaining and grumbling and arguing. And it says in our text, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I found this, when I was studying and preparing these past couple weeks, I, I found this poem about complaining and grumbling, and I just have to share it with you all. There was a boy named Grumbletone who ran away to sea. I'm sick of things on land, he said, as sick as I can be. A life upon the bounding wave will suit a lad like me. The seething ocean billows failed to stimulate his mirth, for he did not like the vessel nor the dizzy rolling birth. And he thought the sea was as almost as unpleasant as the earth. He wandered into foreign lands. He saw each wondrous sight, but nothing he had heard or saw seemed just exactly right. So he journeyed on and on, still seeking for delight, he talked with kings and ladies fair. He dined in courts, they say, but always found the people dull and longed to get away to search for that mysterious land where he would like to stay. He wandered over all the world. His hair grew white as snow. He reached that final bourne at last where all of us must go, but never found the land he sought. The reason you would know, the reason was that north or south, Where'er his steps were bent, on land or sea, in court or hall, he found but discontent. For he took his disposition with him everywhere he went. Do you all know that complaining and arguing are two of the most harmful things that can occur within a church body? That they can cause the most pain, the most dissension, the most shattering of a group within friendships, within relationships, within a community. 
Think about this for a second. If you were someone who is, if you were someone who was looking for a new church home, a church community to be a part of, and there is this church that was around the corner from your house, you were like, they've got some incredible worship, they've got some really cool stage lights, a fired up pastor, but the congregants fight all the time. And that's the reputation that that church has. Are you going? Probably not. I don't really care what stage lights look like. First of all, if the word of God's not being preached, I don't want nothing to do with that place. But when people are fighting, that's not something I want to be a part of. Let me be clear about this today. If all that people know about a church is that the members frequently argue, that its members are a bunch of whiny complainers, that they're full of gossip, guess what? Those people that are coming in are getting a false impression of Christ and his good news. Because that's not the God I know. And I would hope that's not the God you know. When a community of believers comes together, that unity, that community, that belief in Christ is what brings the unity in and what unites us together. If there is a group of people in a church that argue, who complain, who gossip, they are lacking in the unifying power of Jesus Christ. As per his oath of silence, a monk is only allowed to say two words every year. After his first year, he comes before the head to speak his two words, better food. The head understands and obliges the monk hiring a new chef and improving the food quality at the monastery. A year later, the monk appears to speak his next two words, warmer blankets. The head gets right on it and purchases new blankets for the monk. The next year, the monk appears once again for his annual two words, I quit. <laughs> the head replies, well, good. All you've done since you got here was complain." Here's a challenge for us this morning. It's a challenge for the entire church of Jesus Christ as a whole. You've got to stop arguing and start loving. Quit arguing with other people. We, the church has to stop complaining and stop gossiping about people and conditions within the church and instead get to work on those issues, come to common ground with people, and let the world see Jesus. Because the world, when people come into church, they should see Jesus, not our issues, not our grumbling about carpet colors, not grumbling about all these different things. The people, when you look in the mirror, you should see Jesus because that's who you are called to take to the world. That's who you've been called to look like, to act like, to serve like. When people look at you, who do they see? Because they should see Jesus. When people see you, do they know more about the people that you don't like? The people you argue with? Or do they know more about the God that you claim to serve and love? Our lives should be clearly characterized by moral purity, by patience, by peacefulness, so that Christ, the light inside of us, can shine so bright in a world full of such darkness. 
we do understand that we live in a dark and depraved world, right? And it's getting worse by the day. I've probably said this before, but if you want to see what kind of a dark and depraved world we live in, tomorrow at 4 o'clock, turn on your local news. Did you know that your local news is the most violent program on television by TV's rating systems? They, it's so bad, they don't have a rating system to rate it. It is the most violent program on television. It's in large part why we don't watch it. When we put our faith in Christ and when we live out and act out that faith, our lives become transformed. And there is nothing that shines the light of Christ brighter than a broken life that has been redeemed by a loving God. A truly transformed life effectively demonstrates the real power of God's word. We've got to ask ourselves on a daily basis, are we shining brightly for everyone to see? Or are we constantly surrounded by a cloud of complaint or the aroma of an argument? We're going to have times in our lives where dissension is around us, but it's how we recognize it, how we ultimately refuse to let it put our light out. We have to shine for God until Jesus returns and shines his radiant glory for all to see. Can I tell you this morning that God's message has not reached its final destination until the whole world knows, until the whole world hears. Our final two verses from our text this morning said, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. See, even if Paul had to die, he was content because he knew that he had helped the Philippians to live for Christ. When you are fully and completely committed to serving Christ, sacrificing to build the faith of other people becomes a joyous reward. I'm sure part of the conference that Pastor Jeff was at this past week was talking some business-related things, but also talking in celebration of all that God is doing. The churches that are sprouting up, the people who are coming to know that Jesus lives. I want to bring this to a close this morning by asking you this question. Where's your joy? It says at the end of our text, and I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Where is your joy this morning?
Is your joy in temporary things like money? A sunny day? A new car? Promotion at work? Or is your joy rooted in God's word? Is your joy rooted in him? Because let me tell you something, the enemy wants to come for your joy. And he wants to take it from you and rip it from you and steal it from you. And when your joy is rooted in temporary things that are not of God, it makes it easier for him to steal it. But when your joy is rooted in God's word, when your joy is rooted in serving God, when your joy is rooted in God, the enemy can't steal your joy because the enemy has to go through God to get to your joy. And the enemy can't get through God. Where is your joy? Where is it rooted? Never stop shining your light. The world needs us. Now, more than ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we thank you that through you we have joy. That we can experience joy. Father, I pray that as we go throughout our weeks that we would remember that you are just such a good God. You are such a great God. And it should be a joyous reward for us to serve you. A joyous reward for us to tell others about you. Father, I pray that we would never forget that and that we would never let our light burn out. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.